You're listening to Artistic Finance, Show 90. On today's show, I chat with lighting designer Lap Chi Chu. His lighting designs have won him Obie, Lucille Lortel, and Ovation Awards. He has also received a Career Achievement in Lighting Design Award from the LA Drama Critics Circle. We discuss Lap's finances as a freelance lighting designer turned professor. We discuss taxes, student loans, getting an accountant, incorporating as a freelancer, combining finances during marriage, and LAP's most lucrative job. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for checking out the show. It's completely free, but I do request a fee for listening, and that fee is to tell somebody about the show. I've never run an ad for artistic finance, and the number one way people have heard about the show is from someone mentioning it. I do ask for you to tell somebody about the show, though certainly no obligation. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today I welcome lighting designer Lap Chi Chu to the show. Welcome, Lap. Hi, good to be here. We're recording this January 26, 2022. Omicron is going wild. The stock market sort of took a dip this week. Um, And today in New York City, it's really, really cold. It's like 10 degrees. (laughs) It's a chilly 60 degrees here in Los Angeles. All right. So that's where we are in time and space. So Lap, we are going to get to know you and get to know how you have sustained your career financially. So first things first, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a lighting designer, theatrical uh, lighting designer specifically. I don't do too much of other types of lighting design. And that's really because I started teaching rather young. I would say three, four years out of grad school, I started teaching. And so that took away because teaching takes up a lot. A full-time teaching takes a, a, that time up. I do basically those two things, teach and be a lighting designer. Um, I live in Los Angeles now, mostly. Um, I spend, still spend a lot of time in New York. I started my career in New York. I went to NYU for grad school and started the career there. The t- first teaching opportunity was in uh, Los Angeles. That's what brought me out there. They were very good about letting us keep a career. And that was important early on. I wasn't, I had never uh, taught before. It was a new experience for me. I didn't know what I want to stay with it. It was something to try. And then it was a 21 years later, I'm still doing it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm a bit of a resident of both cities. And when you said four years out of grad school, you started teaching what age was that that you were teaching? I just turned 30. Okay. <laughs> and now I figured out now I've figured out your age if you've been teaching for 21 years. <laughs> oh my god, wait a minute. Was I actually younger than that? Because I really just Oh, was I 29? Oh no. I, I <laughs> Oh, it's an age. It's an age. I got there. I got there. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Okay. All right. Can you describe some of your demographics for us? Um, he, him, his. I just turned 50 in case you didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chinese American. Uh, I'm married. 
undergraduate Northwestern University in Chicago, uh, well, outside Chicago, and graduate degree from NYU Tisch. Geographic background, hmm, I'll go way back. I grew up in Hong Kong and Boston, so a bit of a uh, split. And then uh, college, Chicago, live in DC for a couple of years after that. Then I went to NYU. A couple of years later, started teaching, moved up, uh, moved base to Los Angeles, but still spent a lot of time in New York. Wow. You've, you've been in like all the big cities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get the big three <laughs> by population. Yeah. The Daily Show, their intro now, it's a joke. And it says, broadcasting from New York, the only city in America. <laughs> you, have bas- you have basically lived like maybe you missed Dallas and Houston. Houston's number four, right? In population. Yeah. The Metroplex. Yeah. So you you basically hit all the big ones. Oh, Miami. You didn't do Miami either. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> you have That's time. On my list. You have time. Yeah, yeah. I'm only 50. <laughs> all right. Uh, your creative personality. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member or a piece of art that you like? God, I don't do it very much anymore, but... Uh, um concerts um it's it's a little harder to i mean even pre-covid it's it's uh it's just a time between uh working um i used to do a lot more of it in college um also all sorts of live music and art wise um boy it's nice to be in an environment you know i don't want to sound stereotypical but like lighting environments are kind of great you know like Full room Dan Flavin installations, not so much as fluorescent tubes on the wall, but uh, those are really immersive environments are really great. And I guess that's what music and concerts are in a way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You were pretty typical there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Ah, Uh, Walking stereotypes. No. (laughs) So now your financial personality, are you good or bad with money? I think I'm good. You know, it's hard to self-assess. Sometimes it's purposeful, sometimes not purposeful, but um, I think I'm pretty good about it. I would also say I've, since getting married, I've given up a little control of that. I, I, we had to pick an accountant and mine lost. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, that's what usually happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. All right. So now I have to ask questions about your marriage just because... That is a financial thing, can be. <laughs> what age did you get married at? Uh, later in life. I was 45. So only five years ago, six years ago. Okay. So you were both fairly established in your, I guess, finances and stuff like that. Yes. You could have just kept your own accountants, I think. Did you? Was it the first year of marriage that you were like, oh, I guess we should file together now? Well, actually, that that actually leads to uh, that financial question. Because we were a little older, we were very good at having our careers and our lives and managing it. When the taxes changed in a way that it, I was not incorporated uh, uh, as a lighting designer for forever and till now, but my wife was already incorporated. So it was just easy for me to join her company rather than start another company. So, yeah, that's that's the roundabout way of, of, you know, what giving up control, (laughs) a little control means. It was just easier. And that's why we, her accountant won, because he was already dealing with that company. 
So I, I think a lot less about uh, things I had to think it was a bigger part of my life before. And that I think I got good at being a single person, lighting designer, business um, for many years. And let's go way back. Like growing up, did you have good financial examples? Is that sort of where you learned it? Um, I think so. I mean, I was thinking about this when, when before doing the show. Is that at that time in the world where we got small allowances as a kid, as a, a way to teach kids the value of money. So that must have had something to do with it. But also, I ended up in undergrad taking a lot of economics classes, partly because when I started college, I was a scientist, pre-med, chemistry major type, and switched into theater. Basically, I, was, I wasn't interested in that the minute I got into college and therefore went into theater, like, you know, obviously. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and my parents, of course, uh, uh, weren't thrilled about that. Um, and the guy across the hall lived in the dorms lived across the hall from me, was an econ major and, you know, just took some econ classes, appeased the parents. But then I found it incredibly interesting. <laughs> Not yeah. It wasn't finance, which I don't claim to be good at. It's economics as a social science, explaining why entities make the decisions that they do as economic choice. So it's really sociology. And so that's still fascinating to me. And oddly, it ties into theater for me. It's like, I'm just really interested in why a character or groups or anybody makes the choices they do at that moment, dramaturgically. So I end up with a lot of econ, but not finance. <laughs> so I think the, there's some terminologies and skills that translate uh, crossover. So I might be above average in terms of uh, dealing with some of the stuff without ever taking a finance class, you know? That's that's incredible. And I also love that you differentiated, you know, finance versus economy, econo economics. Because <laughs> yeah. I had an economist, Steve Keen, on the show, and it was all fascinating. And he says, yeah, I predicted, my, my thing, my big thing is that I predicted the Australian housing bubble back 30 years ago, but the bubble's still going on. It didn't help me financially that I predicted it. And I still either, I still bought a home or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's funny. Like um, you still have to live your life, and and regardless of of you know what the economists said, uh, you, you know you, there were still people at the end of the tunnel. You know, with all these bubbles and not bubbles. COVID was terrible, and the financial crisis of two thousand eight was terrible. But we all just lived our lives through it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we already know that you went to academics early on, but still, you lived for four or so years freelancing, presumably, what did your finances look like when, when you got out of school and you started your career? You end up not designing all the time right away. So there's always that day job and or something that, that you can make a living at. And fortunately, I was very good at Photoshop, where there were fewer people that were good at it at the time. So um, I did a lot of computer graphics or, or uh, preparing files for um, at the time, it, it, it was, it's, not, it's now PRG, but it was fourth phase. We did a lot of uh, uh, Photoshopping and putting together slides and things for Pani and PG projectors. Now they're, you know, been replaced by video. But it was a good way to uh, make a decent living part-time um, as the career ramped up. My, my schedule wasn't booked with designing or assisting. So I get to, you know, prepare, do a lot of Photoshop part-time, uh, make, make ends meet. 
Okay. You came from Boston, I guess, before school. So did you move to New York and you were, you were living in New York for those four years? So it was Boston through high school, then went to Chicago for undergrad, then a year or two in D.C., and then in New York for grad school. And then I stayed in. Oh, right. I forgot that you were at NYU for grad school. So you had already been there for... Right, right. That was the, the four years I was post-NYU. Got it, got it, got it. Now, fast forwarding to today, on a daily basis, do you think or do you worry about money? When I have time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, today was a really good example, uh, or yesterday even, because there's been a lot of market chaos. Uh, the week before, I was really busy with with... Uh, interviewing students for the next year, several classes I had to teach, I had a light plot due, and and all this, you know, life's professional stuff. So I hadn't looked at the market. It's it's not something I do constantly, but it was on the news and pay attention a little bit. The last couple of days, I had the time, a little more time, because I just went through all that crazy stuff. And then next week, I go into tech for a show, so I will not have time again. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's just another bit of news to me, I guess, uh, with all this stuff. That's amazing. But I, now I'm just curious. So were you looking at your retirement account and, and worrying or were you just like looking at it? Let me put that away. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, actually a, a kind of a long history with um, retirement and investing here because, look, it's just it's very odd that, that you're investing in your future. But you're kind of gambling for your future so you can retire. And that's it. So, you know, this all started. Um, I had, a, you know, my old accountant set up a pretty interesting situation where opened up basically a, a simple IRA for me uh, to way to offset taxes and start saving for retirement. He, you know, did the thing where he put my funds into several mutual funds and and here you could, you know, retire one day. And each year you make a contribution to it to offset some of the money you owe to taxes. And then, you know, the whole, you know, interest in the economics and things like that, I, I um, decided, huh, I think I can do this. So I took over those, that simple IRA, put it into like a, a, a Meritrade account and started managing myself. Then I really had to pay attention uh, uh, to to what where the money went. I I don't do that exclusively anymore. Uh, I realize that I don't have the time, and that when I get busy like I did last week, a lot of crazy stuff can happen in the world, and I would have be busy doing a light plot. So I think somebody else should deal with it. I did that for a couple of years, um, and there's still some choices to be made. You're ultimately responsible. You kind of know where everything is. And, you know, I bought Apple a while ago and that's fantastic, but I don't have any ideas. That's not Apple. I don't, I'm not that studied in this. So uh, since it's retirement, you know, and, and it's, it's somebody else should handle this. That's when I realized. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So to me, it sounds like you don't necessarily worry, but even when you were looking recently, during the sort of, I'll call it crash. I mean, it could continue to crash or it could go up and maybe it's not a crash. But you looked at it. But since you're not managing it, you, you're you not really concerned. Um, my wife and I have a financial person. And with some of the fiduciary rules now that I'm learning about is that they really need to check in with you. At least that's our arrangement. Um, unless you have a, another, 
you know, I'm sure people find other ways to do uh, do business, but yeah, we we tell our person never call us, and they still they still do once a year, and we're like, we told you never to call us. <laughs> <laughs> No, nobody notified us this week. Uh, <laughs> I think my wife and I are still like a little too control freaky ish, and and uh, uh, we do want to know. Maybe we don't, but I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, there, there's somebody for there's a bright match, is what that is. You know, like <laughs> okay. So so what I'm hearing is that your your advisor, I'll call them advisor, whatever they are, they reached out to you and said, hey, the market's crashing. Honestly, I reached out to him this time because ah. I put I was watching the news uh, when I <laughs> <laughs> see it's not a predictable. It's nothing like that's why you have somebody else in charge in some ways, you know. Uh, uh, at least that what works in our lives. Like we do the kind of thing where we can get crazy busy and then. But you know, I, I actually what I did was I beat him to the phone. Is basically what happened. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm sort of, I'm sorry to go off this tangent, but I'm sort of like curious what that conversation was like. Like, did you say, oh, thank you so much for answering. Um, I'm really worried. Should you, can you move my stocks into bonds or something? Like, what did, what did you say to him? This is part of a, a several tiered conversation uh, that basically this is, God, this is way too much about me and my wife, which is we're a little control freaks is that some time ago, I mean, uh, um, Things had been going down for a while, so there was there was a conversation about like, uh, should we put something more in cash, basically, and look wait for another buying opportunity to get in somewhere. And so this call was just like, should we get in now, <laughs> or put some of that back to work? I should say. Uh, um, I was thinking you were worried, but really you were more like, what decision should we make? Uh, yeah. Things go up and down, up and down, up and down. It's sociology. Why does why do panics happen? It, it's there's still people at the end of the day, and that's fascinating to me, you know, as as a so, as a social science. Uh, but then it it translates to like things you could do now, or what your retirement looks like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. That was good. That was good. And also, we're going to talk about simple plan because you mentioned a simple plan. But I'll ask I'll ask that later. But okay. So now today. Do you have any debts? Uh, mortgage on the house. Uh, I really try not to have debt. Uh, before coming to the show, I was actually thinking about that. As the decision to go to grad school was a little bit about debt. Do I want, can I handle this? It is a different ballgame now uh, with, with what tuitions are. Hyper aware of that being a, a teacher at a university. I understand I was taking on debt going to a career. And also, how how can I get rid of this debt? And I did, ultimately. And then I remembered, like, I did take on another debt out of undergrad, which was to buy a computer. And when I finished undergrad, educational discounts are nothing right now. It's a drop in a bucket. You get $100, $200 off the computer. Back then, it was like a third so I, early on, I, I, I left that school and took a loan out for a big computer. That got paid off pretty quickly, which was nice. But I did make a, a sort of investment decision here to take on a little debt out of, uh, um, out of undergrad. And that's really because, you know, like at that time, it was like, well, this was before Vectorworks was around. But for anybody who doesn't know, lighting drafting software is what Vectorworks is. Yeah, yeah. 
that sort of drafting not many people were doing, not for theater. Architects and engineers were using computer drafting. But I was early on to that and, and I knew I needed a computer. You need a better computer to handle that back then. And now you don't. Uh, uh, so that was, that was consciously investment that I took a little debt on. And that was paid off before I got to uh, grad school. That was taking the next step of debt, which is paid off now. Uh, but it's sort of very measured uh, in terms of what I was taking on. I actually want to ask more about student loans. So did you take loans out for undergrad and grad and your computer? Uh, <laughs> uh, not for undergrad and a little bit for grad. And a little bit being like less than $10,000? Uh, it was more than that. It was, uh, uh, it was basically living expense in New York for those couple of years. Okay, I gotcha. How long did it take you to pay that off? I could have done it faster, but I didn't think that much about it. Because what happened was mm -hmm. you get your number when you, you know, where you, this is how much you owe starting however many months after you graduate. And then you had this option to, you know, make that number lo uh, lower, but you stretch out the time. So I did do that. It was so manageable that the number was that small. But if you really look at it like anything else, it's like, well, that's a lot of freaking interest. <laughs> so it's something like, uh, um, yeah, so I just made it finally buckled down in a way. It's just, it was easy to coast. It was so manageable. But if I just, uh, that's when I started maybe doing a little budget, save more here and there, and then just knock this off, get it out of the way. It was too manageable. It was a number was like so, <laughs> too low, but it was, but you really have to look at the time horizon of this loan. It was like, aha, huh, that's not smart, actually. So how long, how long could, have, could you have dragged it out? And then how long did you take? I think it, <laughs> you could have dragged it out to 25, 30 years. It was just making a decision. It didn't take very long once I decided um, that this is dumb. You know, that going to start teaching. And okay. So like five years later, you're like, let's get rid of this. I don't remember exactly, but it was yeah. sort of like a, um, a moment. It's just like, that's so dumb. Why did I do that? I can take care of this. So I did. <laughs> Though, to be fair, there, there's this whole argument of good debt versus bad debt. Yes. Mm -hmm. That situation, in a way, it's like, well, you could continue to pay it off over 25 years. And some people would call that a good decision. Or you could do what you did and pay it off sooner and not pay all that interest. And some people would call that a good decision. Have you used a budget? Because you mentioned like you maybe started to budget a little less so you could pay off that loan. Have you budgeted throughout your life? No. Um, just, just when I made that decision to, to pay off that student loan. Yeah, just to do it. Give myself, oh, this will only take, you know, X number of months or years to get to that point. So why not do it? That's what something we had a guy named Bob Boniel on. Oh, yeah. Bob. He was saying if it's if if it's measurable, then we can take action on it. So if you're not measuring it. So I think making that decision to say, oh, look at this. I can see what I can do to you know pay it off sooner or accomplish it then you can sort of make the decision instead of just coasting, which is an option. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Whatever fits your life. <laughs> Looking back at everything, <laughs> I understand you're still mid-career. What is the best financial thing that you've ever done that maybe you could advise other people to do? Uh, you use the word, uh, you know, measure, you know. It's like put a number on it, put a timeline and, and really look at something. You know, you look at some of these loans it's like, it's heavy on the interest first. You have to measure that. Like maybe that buys me time and that's fine. 
That's why I can do. You just have to quantify it. Uh, at least that's how my mind works. You know, just just like my number for paying back student loan was a low impact every month, but it was not smart. And I realized that when I really took a look and measured it. And uh, yeah, one one step at a time there. In in your work, so we know you teach lighting, but you also work in theater on top of that. How do you find those jobs? It's word of mouth now. You know, it's it's just because, like you said, mid-career. Early on, it was, you know, meeting a lot of people. When I first took the teaching job in Los Angeles, I didn't know anybody in Los Angeles. And so it was knocking on those doors. And in, in, in the West Coast, it's like up and down the coast, really. Things are a little more spread out, out here. You get one or two hits out of like the 10 places you go. And then your work starts getting seen. And then it just builds, building the client base from there in this new market. I already had something in New York, you know, in terms of regularity. So I just kept going back and I still do. But the further, longer I'm away, the, the you know, I guess I disappear a little longer from, from New York. And then sometimes I'll have a lot in New York and it looks like really, really, really looks like I'm in New York all the time. Uh, but they're very easy places to get to. Going from major city to major city, it's, it's just like hopping a big flying bus. <laughs> There's so many of them to catch. Yeah. yeah, we've established you only work in, you only exist in big cities. <laughs> I need an airport. <laughs> Flap Chichu. Only big cities, only big airports. Oh. There's like some really small theater in like three hours from an airport, like up a mountain that's now like listening to this and being like, we'll never have Lap Chichu come to design our lights. <laughs> Those places are so great. There's some, you know, so it's not, you know, we're making a joke out of the big cities, but it's, it's, uh, it's big cities during the school year. <laughs> All right, fair. <laughs> so all the people in the mountains can get Lap when it's not the school year, he will come. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right. So uh, you finished grad school in New York. How did you find your first job, your very first job you had? Uh, it's a network effect, you know, uh, people that I met in grad school and then expanded from there. What's very true uh, is that you have a connection with the people you went to school with because you are in the same trenches. But after a couple of years, it really doesn't matter. I don't work with that many people from NYU anymore. Uh, it's, it's much more open. It always makes me cringe a little bit when people talk about this school's mafia or that school's mafia. The only thing really true about it is like you were stuck in the same place for three years for, for a graduate student. So you have a bond. You're going to create other bonds. All right. So the last, what was your last uh, theater job? Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think this was a hard question. This wasn't meant to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> I did two shows in New York: uh, Morning Sun and Manhattan Theater Club, and, and Kimberly Akimbo at Atlantic uh, Theater Company um, in the fall. Uh, about to go into tech in Los Angeles at the Geffen Playhouse. Dates and things got moved around all over the place which sort of made me uh, a whole bunch of things land on top of each other. Like we all have things landing on top of each other right now. Okay. So the, what's the show that's uh, going to the Geffen that you're about to start tech for? Yeah, it's called uh, Power of Sale. Uh, Brian Cranston, Amy Brennerman are in it. The Geffen has really taken extraordinary steps 
getting this thing off the ground in terms of protocols and keeping everybody safe, but they're going forward. I have other shows that moved to a whole other season and just waited out, but um, they're, they're going forward. Um, I'm really asking about that show to ask this question, which is, how did you get that job? They called. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know anymore. It's, it's uh, you become a known quantity. You know, I, I've done a lot of shows at the Geffen, but it's my first time with this director who's amazing, Wayme. But yeah, I, I think it just, being out there just, just begets others. Looking back at all your, I'll say non-school, your non-academic jobs, uh, which one has been the most financially lucrative? When you say non-school, that really <laughs> makes a difference. <laughs> I guess I guess if we throw that in, then you can. That that's a factor. It's consistency that makes school uh, uh, lucrative. Is a strong word, you know. Uh, um, <laughs> it's 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 consistency. I couldn't tell you once you threw that qualifier, and it's it's. I'll use an example. Um, I read the script. I really really liked it. Loved it. And thought I had to do the show. It was in the mountains. <laughs> and you know, it was it was out there a little bit, but it, it didn't pay much, but it was so great. Just like I I have to do it. I don't know what's gonna happen of it. And it luckily it did have a life after. You know, it's not why I did it, you know, it, it wasn't the driving force, uh, how lucrative it is. It ended up being lucrative by, God, that's such an odd word right now, but uh, it did well, kept on giving. <laughs> that shows the wolves uh, uh, about the, the, you know, we did it at the Vassar Power Station, Powerhouse Theater, and it was a summer thing, but it was such a great, it's such a great play. And that was the first production of it. And it had a life at the Duke and came back again to Duke. Then it went to uh, um, Lincoln Center. You know, it wasn't like, like it was, it's not like nine, nine tours all over the world lucrative, but it was, it, it continued. So actually that's the same as you said about the academic work, work is that it was consistent in a way, like it was <laughs> steady. Steady was what made it good. Not- yeah, and, and very proud of it. I mean, it's, it's such a great script that, that uh, um, I'm glad I went on that instinct rather than like, this will make, you know, this will be lucrative to throw that word out again. No, I just, I just asked because, not because I think anybody thinks before they sign on to a show that it's going to be lucrative, like that it's going to make them a good paycheck. I mean, certainly people, you know, do that and, and you know a little bit, but like all the long running hits or the shows like yours where they, they do it, they do it again, they do it again, they do it again somewhere else. You don't know that that's what's going to happen. I, you know. Nobody knows because because even Frozen maybe a bad example, but like that's Disney and Disney's behind it. And it still was only on Broadway for two years or something. Right. Right. We talked about you were not incorporated for the first 45 years of your life. And I'm assuming you would have stayed that way had you not gotten married. Or do you think you would have incorporated at some point? Uh, I actually don't know. Uh, it was nice to keep life simple, uh, not deal with taxes all the time or the counting that goes into taxing all the time. It was never the beneficial option or choice for me. It just happened that by the time it was, I was married to somebody who's incorporated. So I never really struggled that hard with that decision. So now, now I'm not informed enough to, to the pros and cons of that because I never really had to answer that question for me seriously. 
the accountant said to my wife and I is like, you should do this. And then I don't have to do it day to day. And that's a little bit of the control that I gave up happily now. You know, like it was a little scary when he's like, I don't know what that bill is or, or you know, because you spent so much of your life being in control and aware of all that stuff. All right, right. Changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage changes everything. That's the other one. All right, not a side tangent, but just question for me. All right, so pro-marriage against marriage, now that you've been in it for a while. Uh, I love it, uh, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. You know, it is a relationship that way. You tie in so much of your life, you know, like, and and uh, <laughs> especially later in life, you know, like, like my, I know that's kind of a joke, but it was like, it, it, you're not wrong. <laughs> I would have loved for you to have been like, you know, now that you mentioned it, really not for it. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding um okay so your yearly income w2 versus 1099 how much of each do you get god the last couple of years has been very different things i had historically got 1099 for uh now want to do a w2 and then they only did it for a year <laughs> and then now because it's going to uh, uh if they're paying a company loaning me out they don't have to issue 1099 so it's up to me to keep the pay stubs. It's changed a bit, you know, that W-2 versus 1099 in the last five years. I actually didn't know that. So you're incorporated. So if, if that incorporation gets the paycheck for your show, they don't have to send you a 1099? Correct. I was chasing all these faders down for 1099 because I was, it was new to me a couple of years ago. And it's like, wait a minute, we don't have to send you this. And it's like, you don't? Okay, then I checked in my accountant. I like the way of learning how to do business uh, was different. Uh, I don't get 1099s anymore for what had been 1099 jobs. Wow, this, uh, this is mind-blowing to me. I didn't know about this. <laughs> I hope that's correct, but I just kind of do what the accountant tells you to do now. No, 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 I, I think you're correct. I've never incorporated, so I don't know. You know, I've never gotten a paycheck that way, so I've never had anybody do that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so it's up to you to keep track of and report your income. Yeah. Kind of weird. Th this seems fishy. Now I'm starting to understand why everyone wants to open up corporations and they can, <laughs> you can just make up what you made. Well, it's also a layer of protection, you know, when, when you're hiring people and of course, you know, sue you, they sue your business. Of course, let me say this. Anything I'm saying on the show, you should check <laughs> because I don't control this very, uh, I joined my wife's company. Somebody else does the accounting. Decades of independence gone <laughs> now. So, <laughs> Well, no, I think you might be onto something because I once rented some rehearsal, like a rehearsal hall, and I rented it for more than $600. And I didn't think I needed to pay them a 1099 because I was like, oh, they're a company. I don't need to. And then COVID hit and they reached out to me and they said, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with unemployment and I need some 1099s or whatever. Um, can you send me a 1099 for that rehearsal hall stuff that you... Oh, they needed proof of income. Yeah. So then that confused me. But I think they were a single member LLC and yours is clearly multi-member. And so that might change something. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I'm glad we brought this topic up that we have no idea on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's what, you need another show that deals with this, which is upcoming. Okay. So going back to the W2-1099, so now you're getting, well, it's not 1099, but you have to report it. So the question then becomes, 
are you paying taxes quarterly? I believe my wife does. And does your accountant help you and say, this is what you're supposed to pay every quarter? Let me rewind the clock because I'm I'm really speculating what my wife does. <laughs> I mean, a, back when I was good at this, uh, <laughs> yes, my accountant told set up a payment schedule based uh, that was based estimated taxes. You know, either you were ahead or behind in every year, and you want to be ahead and rather overpaid into underpay uh, uh, above what you owe ultimately, rather than less than. For the quarterly, but in the freelance life, you're unsure what you're doing from year to year. You also make it up too. You know, it's just a schedule. Like, let's say you're supposed to pay a thousand dollar quarterly. It seems like with oh no, I might have worked more than I did the previous year. That third and fourth payment, you might want to bump up. Yeah, I'm of that philosophy too of overpaying and then getting a refund or whatever. Auditing sounds like no fun. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, we know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you file your own taxes? <laughs> I have to do all the math and the, the receipts and all that so the, for the write-offs, but I don't file. Uh, um, I file jointly. How do you organize? Because, yeah, just how, how do you keep your receipts and things organized? Credit card. That summary is so amazing. I used to keep accordion files of, of receipts and then... Uh, some the, the New York taxi ones were terrible because the ink fades. And like, what did this say after a year? But now everything on a credit card just makes it so much easier that it's printed on a statement and some of the cards will guess at the category for you. And that at least gets you most of the way there. It's been easier that way. It used to be like lock yourself in for a couple of days and add up your receipts. But now the credit card is such a great tool for that. I have to say this. I don't carry a balance. It's just a, a form of payment that was quick. Okay. So, but then also when you're looking at the statement, do you type it up for the accountant or do you just give them the credit card statement? Oh, I organize it because you could download it as a comma delineated file or Excel file. And then you just make sure everything's in a category. There's, you know, different cars have different portals. And sometimes you let you do that. We have a Chase Inc. And that one was, Last year, you could change the categories on it. This year, it doesn't I just downloaded it this year. It just makes life a lot faster. Hmm. Wow. Okay, I put in all my stuff in Excel and now, and I have Chase, a card, so I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's, that's, it's, you still can, you know, see and organize and not deal with paper, you know, it's just doing Excel and it's so much easier now. Okay, so, all right, my favorite part of the show now, <laughs> settle in, everyone. <laughs> Do you have a retirement plan? And if so, what is it all? What does it look like? What are all the parts? Oh my God. Okay. IRA. Uh, yes, the simple IRA set up for me by my accountant, my, my former accountant. Oh, one of the best things I ever did was get an accountant. Um, that first year out of school, I remember doing my taxes and it was wrong and I owed a lot of money. But luckily, oh, I took a stab at it. Because earlier that year, Susan Hilperty, who is who's, uh, the new chair of NYU at the time, she's retiring now, thought it was a great idea to introduce all the students to an accountant. And so we got the rundown of like all the different things you could do and what it entails, took a lot of notes. I still did the taxes wrong and owed a whole lot of money after that. So I said, okay, that somebody else should do this. So I, I called him and, and he did them. And 
Well, one of the things he did was set up this IRA and it parsed it down into very simple terms. Like you could pay like X amount in taxes completely, or you could contribute this much to your retirement and pay a lot less in taxes. So it got very parsed down. And that was one of the greatest things to do. But that's how I started out this simple IRA because I had this accountant who specializes in, in people in the arts. Yeah. So that's, that's how I, I still have a simple IRA to this day. I, I think you're the first person that's ever actually had a simple IRA. Oh, interesting. Why aren't more people doing this? <laughs> well, SEP IRAs, maybe that's the sort of easier version. Oh, okay. People do that. Yeah. I, I don't know where the breaking point is simple or SEP. When's, when's, when's wiser and what's better often. All right. 401k. Do you have a 401k? I have a 403b because uh, my jobs were from teaching. And that's that's the education version of a 401k. Same idea. Fantastic. And I assume you started that right when you started teaching and you've been putting in ever since? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And in, in this case, there's, you make your contribution. And in this case, the school had a matching contribution up to a certain amount. So it's, it's, I thought it was silly not to do it because you'll be giving up that matching contribution. Yeah, yeah. Um, pension. Uh, we have one for USA, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, uh, uh, no. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> no, you do. we do. But also uh, my new teaching job has a pension that um, haven't been there long enough to be vested. And that, I know that's five years before I'm vested. Um, I'm, I'm uh, now at UCLA, which I've only been at for a year and a half so far. So I think it's five years to vest. And is that on top of a 403B? 403B was a carryover from uh, the previous teaching job. So your simple IRA and your 403B, are those just sitting there like whatever's in them is growing and now you're focusing on the pension? The simple is still contributed to. Uh, the 403B is just decisions that doesn't grow. Uh, and there's, there's, and uh, the pension is nothing to do. You just, you don't have no choice, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. is nice. New thing I'm asking about that I never really thought about before, life insurance. Do you have life insurance? I don't, um, which is very strange because my dad was a life insurance salesman. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what the pros and cons of it now. It must be very different. I'm not sure. Okay. So as aside from your retirement plans, all those accounts, do you do any investing? Uh, I still have some stocks. Right now, it's, it's pretty dormant uh, because um, uh, just the time thing, just don't have the time for it to, to not get absolutely destroyed <laughs> if I'm not looking at the news that day or something. So I think it, I'm understanding what kind of time and intention I actually have and still do my job. It's, it's just something I leave alone. Yeah. There's an account, but mm, it's pretty dormant. And then you mentioned you have a house. I sort of count that as an investment, whether that's right or wrong. Real estate scares me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a place where you live. That's, 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 yeah. It could end up being an investment, but. Uh. Okay. And then new question that I'm asking these days, do you give to charity? And if so, how? Yeah, that's uh, uh, end of year. I, uh, uh, my wife and I discussed with our accountant where to go with some of that. General financial advice for anybody that's sort of starting their career now, maybe they want to be a lighting designer and they're just getting out of school and they're ready to go. 
Is there any sort of financial advice that you wish you had known when you started out? Do what you like. I mean, if you're, people said this to me when I got out of school, it's like, if you're good, you work. You know, picking something you're good at and just doing it and, and loving it, it, people take notice of that. It's kind of win-win in that, you know, you love spending time and doing it and that begets work. I certainly grew up with some a situation where, you know, my parents wish I was a doctor and I'm not. So it's it's uh, it was that sort of tipping point for me. It's just like, why am I doing this? Can I do this? Is this a career? Is this a hobby? You know, those were the pressures on me at the time. That that sort of uh, um, uh, saying or advice helped me. Um, is there any sort of book or resource that has helped you with the financial part of your career that you can recommend? My wife's accountant. <laughs> no, it's finally like I, I I enjoyed reading about economics or, or economic as a social science, like we said earlier. Um, that that that's interesting to me, but it's not finance. But there's a lot of crossover. So wait, do you do you still read those about economics and stuff, or is that just back when you were in school? I don't read textbooks or anything. <laughs> I'm not that boring. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of books that are not textbook. No, 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 nobody does. No, nobody I mean, does. but, you know, like the <laughs> economic section or, or the magazine Economist, you know, or something like that. It just is just, uh, um, you know, it's it's of interest. And it's so little about finance. You know, it's more about, oh, this may happen. This may not happen. Or, you know, why people make the choices they do or why groups make the choices that they do. I'm lucky to, you know, have that crossover that that's why I enjoy about scripts and making dramaturgical choices. It just happens. Figure out why people do what they do. That's fascinating to me. <laughs> if there's anybody that's listening that wants to go into a career in the arts and perhaps become a lighting designer, they really love it and they want to do it. Maybe they're worried like, oh, I'm not going to make enough money. Is there any encouragement you can give them or caution you can give them? <laughs> oh, it's such a strange time. I mean, uh, back in the fall when we're all starting up, um, a lot of theaters had trouble staffing. It was hard to find people to, I don't want to say do the work, but were they hanging the lights? Were they assisting? Were they designing? The opportunities may be different. I, I don't think I could honestly answer that question. It might've been a different, you know, pre-pandemic. A lot of things are being figured out still, even like if a theater wants to open or makes sense for them to, and that's hard. That's really hard. I, I don't think those are, I can make a valid uh, statement right now. I hear, I hear run away. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Any, any other thoughts you can think of before we wrap this up? Keep it up. I love what you're doing here. Yeah. It's so important uh, to be talking about this stuff and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's an honor to be here. Well, thank, thank you lap. And it's, and it's truly an honor. And by the way, I actually feel like I should say this is that I saw in Dallas in 2012, I saw Cabaret that you lit. I actually saw it twice because I like the show so much. I, I have seen firsthand your incredibly talented designs. Oh, thank you. And, you know, enjoy what you do. All right. Um, Lap, before I get, let you go, last question here. Where can people connect with you? I'm easy to find. Uh, website, lapgchu.com. Uh, I teach at UCLA. So, you know, that website and then my name is kind of rare, so it's, it's easy to find. Thank you, even. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are get an accountant. They know what they're doing, 
and they can give you options on tax-saving retirement accounts. It was great that Lapp had an introduction to an accountant in school, and then he tried filing his taxes once. Yes, he messed up, but he then knew who to call. And that accountant set up his simple IRA, which he has used ever since. We're on episode 90, and maybe two people have filed their own taxes, and those weren't designers. Saying that just to say, get an accountant. (laughs) All right, debt and student loans. Do you have any debt? If so, is it small and on autopilot? Even if it is, consider reviewing it to see if you can eliminate it and just get it off your plate. And specifically, look at the interest. Maybe it makes sense to pay off slowly, but maybe it would be just as easy to eliminate it sooner. If you find something you like, do it. Work begets work. So if you do a good job, more work will come your way. Lucrative may be the wrong word for design work, but I did pick up on Lapse to mention that the academic job's consistent paycheck was what made teaching financially beneficial. And the same for The Wolves. It wasn't that the paycheck was big, it was that the show was done many times in many different places. And the final takeaway is that Lapp didn't incorporate until 20 years into his career. And if he hadn't gotten married, he may have never incorporated. Just pointing that out because he was able to itemize, hire assistants, and set up a simple IRA as an individual without having to create a legal entity to design through. Did you enjoy today's chat with Lapp? Did anything in particular stick out to you? Let me know by commenting on the LinkedIn post that I'll make for this episode or email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. A special thank you to my patrons. Patrons get early releases of the episodes on a private podcast feed and they get additional content like last week's workbook. 25% of our Patreon income goes to other artists on and off of Patreon. Currently, we make monthly pledges to 25 other artists, and that is thanks to you, the patrons. If you want to become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com artisticfinance. Levels start at $3 a month, and you can cancel any time. If you aren't ready to join, you can always pay the fee for listening, which is, of course, to tell somebody about the show. Thank you in advance for doing that. And the last thing to mention as we head into March, Are your retirement savings automated for the year? Are you on track to save and invest what you planned? Make sure you know how much you want to save this year and check that you're on target to do so. There's nothing to it but to do it. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.